As you're uh, wrapping up your comments, it is, uh, it is quite the sound to hear a sanctuary filled with chatter on a Sunday morning. So thank you for indulging us, and I hope that was a, a helpful exercise. Uh, but I have the great privilege this morning of preaching. So as Siler had said, I am the campus pastor over at our Crossroads campus in Grays Lake, and today I have the privilege of being able to preach uh, the first sermon in the new sermon series made for this. And so the sermon series is from the book of Exodus. And Exodus is really the iconic picture of what happened with the people of Israel in moving from slavery in Egypt all the way through their wilderness wanderings and into uh, their time going into the promised land. But I think if we look below just the first layer of what is in uh, Exodus, what we begin to see is how we can mirror our own experiences in those uh, wilderness wanderings in that moment uh, after they were taken out of uh, the nation of Egypt and they were in this wandering experience. It was preparation for them. And so we were made for this is the name of our series. And we were made for, we were made as the people of God. And we see the themes of these, uh, these four themes that we'll hear over the four, four, next four weeks. So uh, wisdom today, worship and work and wandering. And so this morning I have the privilege of talking to you about uh, wisdom. It is a vast Topic, not something that we can easily summarize on a Sunday morning worship service. In fact, in Scripture, there's 218 verses on wisdom. Wisdom in Scripture is defined, it is encouraged by us to ask for it. We see wisdom abused in Scripture, we, are, we, we see it personified in the life of Jesus and many other Bible characters. In addition, we see Uh, stories, metaphors, parables where the application of wisdom is lived out as an example to us, or rather in other circumstances, a lack of wisdom that we ought not to follow. So when God asked Solomon in that most familiar passage on wisdom, what is the one thing that you might want? Solomon's response to God was, I would like wisdom and knowledge, so that I might lead this people, lead my people. And in that one verse, we see really the theme of our entire message today rise. That is the theme of those two principles, both wisdom and leadership. And for sake of the fact that I, as a young man and a pastor, are preaching on wisdom and leadership to a crowd— Uh, that is well adept at leadership, please know that we are diving into Scripture for some great things. And we're looking forward to what we see from this passage in Exodus chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles or a device of any sort, I encourage you to turn in those to Exodus chapter 18. And we see, leading up to chapter 18, the book of Exodus chronicling the story of God's people— from their slavery in Egypt to their entry into the promised land and everything really in between. So prior to Exodus 18, 
we have the story of the nation of Israel enslaved to a tyrant uh, dictator, the Pharaoh, to the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt. Israel didn't have a nation, they didn't have a home, and they did not have an identity. They were enslaved seven days a week, every day of the year, to serve at the, at the, at the service of that tyrant leader, the Pharaoh. Until the early passages of Exodus, when we begin to see the story of Moses, again, an iconic leader, one of the greatest leaders of all times, arise, and his story begins to be known. He finds himself as an Israelite in power in Egypt. He commits a serious crime. He commits murder, and instead of facing those consequences, he runs out into the wilderness. And he runs to a place called Midian, where he makes friends with a man named Jethro, the priest of Midian, and actually marries Jethro's daughter. So Jethro becomes Moses' father-in-law. Jethro was not a priest who would have been worshiping the one true God that Moses knew. Jethro would have been a priest that was worshiping the gods of the Gentile world. So the small g gods. He was not worshiping the one true God, but just the many gods that were, uh, that were available to worship. And Moses lives here for 40 years in the wilderness, learning lessons from his father-in-law. Now, in those 40 years... Uh, we're going to hear a message from Pastor Anson in just a few weeks on the wanderings of Moses and the great things we can glean from what he experienced in the wilderness. But essentially, it was the experiences that Moses experienced there that was preparing him for the next step in his life. God is letting Moses know through the, the burning bush in the, in, the, in the wilderness that God wanted Moses to bring his 1.5 million Israelite people that were enslaved in Egypt out of slavery. This would have certainly been something that would bring trepidation into the life of Moses. How could I possibly do the thing that you're asking me to do? And in fact, Moses comes up with five really good excuses as to why he should not be the person for the job. There were so many things. He was like, who am I? What if, you, what if I don't have the words to say? Well, okay, what if you give me the words to say, but they don't listen to what uh, they ha- I have for them. He says, um, I am slow of speech. In other words, he starts to label a liability that would maybe prevent him from being able to lead the people. Does that sound familiar? We like to do that, don't we? And then the, the last excuse I love, it's my personal favorite. He says, Lord, if there is anybody else, please just choose somebody else and not me for this job. And so we get the chance to see kind of the heart of Moses as he's being formed. But it is no secret that Moses was a very successful leader. He led that nation out of uh, Egypt. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He acquired the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. He built the tabernacle. He performed miracles. He is listed among those in the Bible who had the greatest faith. We know that despite this list of excuses, Moses did indeed end up going to Egypt. He provided safe travel for the Israelites out of the land, out across the Red Sea, down into the Sinai Peninsula, and that's where our story begins today in Exodus chapter 18. It is in this in-between period 
It is in the pause that Moses experienced after he obeyed God to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and prior to him receiving the Ten Commandments, the law. So now he's in this in-between period where we see God leading Moses on a big level where there's the pillar of fire at night and there's the cloud during the day that leads them where they should go. But in the day-to-day, Moses was out of his element. He was out of his league. He didn't know how to deal with the day-to-day elements. Now, in Moses' defense, can you imagine the isolation and the loneliness and the weight of leadership that he must have faced when he was supposed to try to lead and bring wisdom with no leadership structure to the nation of Israel? So, This is where I want us to begin to look at the story. So if you have your Bible and or a device of any sort, you can kind of kind of uh, flip over to it in Exodus 18. Join me as we read uh, just the first few verses, uh, starting in verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses— heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, I think it's important to note, especially in verse 1, that although he's considered the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, that he was so much more than just his father-in-law. He was a mentor, he was a counselor, he was a friend. Moses had a very close relationship. And so when Moses began to tell Jethro of the experiences that he had, that God was leading and bringing the Israelites along. He was making sure that it wasn't praise to man or to the nation of Israel or even to Moses, but to say, look what the Lord is doing. And I love this because in these verses, we get to see God working miraculously in the nation of Israel. So let's go to verse 2. And after Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert, where he was camped, Near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him I, your father in law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father in law, bowed down, and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Let's look at verse 8. Moses told his father in law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Remember, he's giving credit to God. It was God who had saved them. And what's amazing about this is, if you're familiar with the story of the, of the uh, Israelites coming through that wilderness area, they had already crossed the Red Sea. That was miraculous. They had uh, seen God provide food in the wilderness through manna and quail. They had seen God provide water when they were dying of thirst, and he struck his, his uh, rod against the rock, and water pours out. And they begin to drink, and they, uh, two million people are, are, are able to be fed and able to drink in the middle of the desert. And Moses recognizes it is not about them. It's about the Lord. 
Now, also in these several verses that we've just read, one of the things that I like, and we're going to begin to kind of glean some, some leadership principles or ideas about biblical wisdom and leadership. And I think the first one that I find in these few verses is that for us, having a confidant, one or a handful of people, are extremely important when it comes to wisdom and leadership. So for, for my life, uh, my, my wife's name is Wendy. Uh, we are over at the Crossroads campus, so she, I think she might be taking our kids over there. We're not sleeping too good. We have a seven-month-old, seven so we're working on that. Um, but we, we had, early on in my marriage and relationship and uh, my ministry, we had a gentleman named Bill Prince. And Bill Prince offered practical insight into my life. Now, he was a, an empty nester. He was a retired man who took a special interest in young pastors. And he came alongside of me, and he was able to uh, offer practical wisdom in the areas of leadership and marriage and finances and ministry. He knew the successes of my life to that point. He knew the trials of my life, the struggles, the things that I, that I was dealing with in, as a young leader, and was able to speak wisdom into my life at strategic times when I had big decisions to make. Everybody needs someone like Jethro. Everyone needs someone they can be super close to, a confidant like Moses had. So in the next few verses, in verse 9, we see this, that Jethro was delighted to hear about all the things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand uh, of the Egyptians. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Now, I want you to see this. A Gentile priest who serves many gods, all of a sudden seeing the hand of God, the one true God, on the people of God, and he begins to give praise to the one true God. And what I find amazing about this story is that this is exactly what God had promised to Abraham when he was birthing the nation of Israel, that other nations would begin to praise the one true God, the Lord, because of the things that he's going to do through those people. And we begin to see this Uh, this story through the leadership of Moses, we begin to see how God is working through them. Before we move on to really kind of the meat of the passage in verse 13 and following, I just want to share a little bit about wisdom and leadership. Two incredibly important biblical principles that we see rise up all through Scripture. So you can study leadership and Much of leadership in Scripture you can find in Genesis, here in Exodus, you can find it in Numbers, you can find it in Joshua, through the conquest, you can find it in Judges, and you can find it in the life of David and Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, and you can find it in the prophets, and you can find it in Daniel. You get the idea. I mean, it is something that we see as a theme through all of Scripture. One of the things that struck me when I was preparing this message is that so many articles from Forbes and New York Times and Harvard Business Review oftentimes list the principles of successful leadership, and you can usually pick out the ones that are extremely biblically uh, based. It's not cited from Scripture, 
but the reality of leadership principles are universal. God's truth is universal. And without doubt, we can learn from these stories in Scripture, specifically this one as the iconic example of wisdom and leadership. But for the next few moments, would you help me as we go through these next few verses and learn how we can see from one of uh, the greatest leaders of all time, Moses, how we can apply these leadership and wisdom principles. And before we do that, for many of you, you would consider yourself a leader by default because of your title or because of your, uh, where you've been placed in your, in your work. Or maybe you've been appointed to a position of leadership. But I want to contend that in, in this room, every one of you have somebody looking at you. In fact, for moms, it's your children. For others, it may be your coworkers. For us in church leadership, it might be the folks that we lead or the staff that we have. And I would contend that at some level, every person in here is a leader. And good leadership leaks the wisdom that is from above. You see, Jesus' very own half-brother wrote, wrote the book of James. And in the book of James, we see uh, th- this definition of wisdom. That wisdom that is from above, or heavenly wisdom, is, and then he describes it. It's first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And when you layer that with leadership, you'll get the model for good and godly leadership that leaks the wisdom that is from above. So let's go back to our story in Exodus chapter 18, where we're now in verse 13, where it kind of starts to unfold some of the, uh, some of the meat of the passage. So verse 13 says, the next day, so uh, actually let's back up to verse 12, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering. So he was giving praise to God for all that God had done. He brought a burnt offering and, uh, and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. So essentially they had a little party. They sacrificed to the Lord. They had some food the night that Jethro and his uh, wife and kids got into town. But this is what I want you to see. Verse 13 says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Even though Moses had just welcomed his longtime friend, mentor, counselor, Jethro, his wife that he hadn't seen in a while, his, his two boys into town. The Bible makes it very clear that it was the next day that Moses goes back to busying himself from morning till evening. Moses, in this moment, listened to what Jethro had to say. Now, I think one of the great principles of wisdom and leadership is listening. 
is our ability to be able to listen. We see it rise up throughout the scriptures, but specifically in the book of Proverbs, we hear advice on how to listen. Now, at the risk of sounding too simplistic, the reality is that the Bible from beginning to end has a lot to say about how we take advice. And I think the reality is we don't like to take advice, which is why we see this theme throughout Scripture, that we ought to be in a place where we can begin to take good, sound, wise advice. So maybe a question for us is not, should we become better listeners? But the question should be, where are the blind spots in our lives? Can we become more aware of where we need advice, where we need to listen. And one of the greatest leaders of all time who led two million people out of Egypt and was doing a great job, by the way, had a couple of blind spots that he needed to have pointed out and were pointed out by his great friend and mentor. Now, this is not just practical wisdom for your interactions with others, but listening is an exercise in deepening our walk with God. In fact, for us, we need to become more introspective sometimes so that we can hear God in prayer, so that we can hear God in silence and through his word and through creation and through other people, perhaps a confidant, friend, counselor, mentor, pastor, spiritual coach who knows and loves Jesus. Another one of the thoughts that comes out of this passage, if you look at verse 15. So Moses answered him because, so the reason why he gives Jethro for why he's working at this pace, why he's got to go back to work the next day, why Jethro is seeing that there's something wrong here in verse 15, Moses answered him. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. We are so good at this. He's over-spiritualizing. He's saying, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. He's saying, I'm doing something great. I'm helping the people find what God's voice is. I'm doing some really good work. But what what Jethro is saying to Moses is, you are working at an unsustainable pace. Because we see it later, if you keep reading in verse 16. Whenever they have a dispute, this is Moses, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I have to decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. And here's Moses' father-in-law's response. He says, what you're doing is not good. And I think if we can pull one more idea for wisdom and leadership out, it is that we ought not work at an unsustainable pace. It amazes me how... We justify overwork. We justify overwork in church work and in the secular realm. And for some reason, we have equated busyness, long hours, massive to-do lists with being productive. And no doubt, for many of us, it feels very productive. And people in ministry, including myself, are no exception to this. Especially in ministry, we somehow hyper-spiritualize. We do kind of the Moses thing. Well, I worked the long day because I was doing God's will. 
And in our passage, I appreciate how direct Moses, Jethro is with Moses. After watching him, he realizes the pace Moses is running, and it is not sustainable long term. There is an eventual crash and burn that is going to happen. And I have appreciated the people in my life that have pointed out those blind spots, that unsustainable pace at those very, those intervals where I needed to make sure I was listening to those, that advice. And so in the following verses, starting here in verse 19, we begin to see the advice that could likely help Moses go from being a a great leader, a good leader, to even a better leader to lead the people of God. And we see this in verse 19. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. So he's not saying take my advice unsolicited. He says, you know, let's, let's pray and make sure it's God's will for you to do this. But I'm going to offer some things that I'm seeing practically that might be good for your life. And in verse 19, he says, You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. So right there we see two things that I find incredibly important. The first is this. Jethro is not saying, Moses, step away from everything. He's not saying, stop everything that you're doing. You alone are the representative of God to the people. But it's in this little verse, and it's in that last phrase, that we gain some real perspective. Something that took me by surprise as I was studying this passage. And of course, for any Bible student, the specific advice that Jethro gives in the next few verses is a classic Old Testament passage. But it was this little phrase that caused me to pause. And I believe that it is something that is needed as we think about wisdom and leadership. It is something that is needed first and above all. And that is what we see in verse 19 at the end. He says, Not only are you their representative, but bring their disputes to God. Bring their disputes to God. Now, the word disputes could be better translated any such thing. And I have paused at this verse because as I see this, what Jethro is saying is, before you do anything, before you take any advice, before you you give advice— you ought to pray about any such thing. Now, I don't know about you, but prayer is typically not my default position. Now, for some of you, that might be the very first thing that you do. But for me and for, I'm going to venture to say, a good number of us in the room today, when we need to make a, a decision on something, maybe our default is not to bring any such thing to God. But my challenge is this. However big or small, the very first thing that we ought to do before giving advice or taking advice or listening or any of this is that we ought to bring it to the Lord. Bring any such thing to the Lord. And in case you want to exclude yourself from this, we've already made the argument. This is for leaders, and we are all leaders. Leader, bring any such thing to God in prayer. Verse 20, teach them. So here's the, here's the three major teaching points that we gain from Jethro. The first is, teach them the decrees and laws. Show them the way to live. That's number two. And the duties they are to perform. And number three, but select, select capable men or select capable leaders. And, and so in the book, Designed to Lead by Geiger and Peck, 
They suggest that the very thing that Jethro was giving to Moses, the things that he needed to do that were essential, uh, were the essential things to building a healthy culture. Now, the, the reality is, again, Jethro is not saying stop everything you're doing. He's saying the pace you're going at is unsustainable. There's some things that you have to pluck out and give to other people. But here's the things that only you can do. You're their representative. You need to be praying for them on any such thing. And he gives these other, these other uh, pieces of advice that are culture setting. And so he had to set the culture alone. And so by culture... It is a shared belief or value that undergirds all that we do. And when you go someplace, culture will hit you immediately. I don't know if you can remember the first time, or maybe it was just the last time that you got to go to a professional sporting event. Maybe it was a Bulls game or a Cubs game. And so for me, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. uh, And as a Philly fan, you never cheer for another team. So I will always be a Philadelphia fan until the day I die. But I remember the first Phillies game that I went to at the Veterans Stadium, and it was back when stadiums all had the AstroTurf, the bright green AstroTurf. I remember walking into the stadium for the first time, and you're struck by the atmosphere, the smells, the sounds, the ball hitting the bat, the, 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 the chants that come from a professional sporting event. You just, you just get kind of, you get kind of brought into the culture of, and the atmosphere, and think about it though, from another perspective, maybe for you it was camp when you were growing up or a mission trip. That, that, that unique experience changed your life. Or maybe it was your first time to Disney World or Chick-fil-A or a great hotel or a great resort. Um, you know, it would, be, it would be apropos for me to mention that just a few minutes ago, the World Cup final game started, right? And the incredible culture, the international phenomenon that soccer is, that football is. Contrast that with the culture that was recorded about Amazon in a 2015 article in the New York Times, which talked about how how bad the work culture is at Amazon. I don't know how, how true all of this is, but it was defined as intense and obsessed over their stated values. It is, however, also described as brutal and toxic and filled with fear and backstabbing. Now, no doubt many, if not all of us, have benefited from two-day shipping and Alexa's vast ability to do things in our home, but the reality is there's something going on with the culture, and that was the word that was used. It was culture. Strong cultures can edify or they can destroy. And culture permeates everything that we do. It is what we believe and value in our homes, in our marriages, in our chil- with our children, and how we raise them, and our extended family. It's how we interact at work and uh, with our friends and even at church. It's the culture And it's powerful. And so Jethro speaks to culture. And if you're going to affect culture, you need to do these things. That's what, that's what Jethro is communicating. And he says, here's the things you need to do. One, just repeating verse 20, you need to teach them about the decrees and laws. So it's providing clarity about why they were there. See, Moses was leading a nation of slaves who had never had an experience. This whole generation never experienced anything different 
than what they had experienced in Egypt. No freedom, no choices, no ability to live the way that they wanted to live. And Moses was tasked with giving them why they were on the planet. Why do they exist? It was only just a few chapters later in Exodus 20 that we get to see the law that God gives to them. Here's, here's, some, here's some good rules to live by. And the law was given to show them, one, to show them that they could not measure up, that they needed Jesus. And two, to form a distinct people for his name who would be a blessing for all people. This is the why. This is the why they exist. And the why they were there is their identity. Second thing to do in order to affect culture is to show them the way that they should live. That is the mission. They, they were to live to bring glory to God because he redeemed them. And so we see this word redeemed. The very first time we see the word redeem is in Exodus 6, when God is saying, I will buy you out of bondage. I will bring you out of bondage. I promise I will bring you out. So now on the other side, they are to live differently. They're not in bondage anymore. They are in freedom but because they lived in bondage for 400 years and them and all the people that were there in all their previous generations only knew bondage, none of them knew how to live. So they were only familiar with bondage. So Moses was to show them how to live in such a way that others may turn to God. They were to be a blessing. And then that turns us to verse 21, which is where we get the third way to affect culture, and that is to select Leaders, which sounds a little bit more uh, organizational, but the reality is, as we look to the principles that a good leader, who a good leader is, and how those leaders affect culture, there are some really strong spiritual principles that Jethro brings to the picture. He says in verse 21, but select capable men from all the people. And here are the characteristics, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Now, those two things are incredibly powerful. So he says, men who fear God, people who fear God, leaders who fear God. Now, Mike did, a Pastor Mike did a great job of defining what uh, the fear of God is just a few weeks ago in one of our sermons. But however, briefly, it could be understood as feeling the weight of obeying God and not abusing the freedom that he has blessed us with. You want people in leadership who are not trying to get so close to the line, but trying rather to do the things that God desires for them to do. The second, after we see people who are in leadership who fear God, people who are trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain. And so you can, you can kind of boil down these two characteristics of good leaders to people of character, and competence. Oswald Sanders wrote this, that spiritual leadership requires spirit-filled people. So moving on in verse 21, we get the, the final good advice from Jethro. He says, appoint these leaders as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. This is the great passage on delegation, and I won't go into the details of delegation, but we move on to the next verse. 
he says, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will, get, will go home satisfied. And what I want you to see as our final thought for the day is what is recorded in the first line of that next verse. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. Now Deuteronomy 1 records exactly what Moses went through in that moment. Talked about how he uh, admitted his weaknesses. He admitted his weariness and he appointed leaders over the people. Moses was uniquely attuned by now to hear the voice of God. And when Jethro brought this advice to him, he paused, he listened, he prayed, and he followed through on the advice, knowing that it was the best thing for him, it was the best thing for the nation of Israel, and it was the best thing for his family. So as we close, I believe that there are principles that trickle down to us as it relates to both organizational leadership, personal leadership, organizational wisdom, family wisdom, personal wisdom. We need to take a serious look at how Moses, one of the greatest leaders who ever lived, who was doing a great job at his leadership, was told, be attuned to your blind spots and be willing to see areas where you can improve. And so may we be attuned to the message that God has for us through his word, this message and men and women who know and love God. Would you pray with me today? Father, again, we are so privileged and grateful to be able to worship you in this meaningful way. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is practical, that is wise for every area of life. May we begin to see the ideas of great wisdom and great leadership rise up so that we might become more wise and better leaders through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.